Thursday edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And we're a, a day away of getting set for the weekend and more National Football League playoff action with the NFC and AFC Championship. We will discuss that later on in the show today, but right now, as we often do, as we almost always do in this first hour, taking a look at Toronto Raptors and the NBA and certainly much to discuss following last night's game and a loss in Chicago uh, at the hands of the Chicago Bulls. And it's a, a, another one, Jonesy. How many times have we talked about it this year in, in terms of the the you know close but no cigar, the woulda, coulda, shoulda? How many more cliches and, and old lines can I throw in here? The Raptors were right there. Uh, in fact, they came back all the way back from down big on a night where, again, it started a little bit ugly. It was a grind. It was a struggle for much of the night. But to their credit, after falling down by 19, they hang around and they hang around and they hang around. And what, but 90 seconds left, two minutes left in the game, they take their first lead of the night. Maybe it was about three minutes, actually. They take their first lead of the game to only then have the Bulls come quickly back with a couple of straight buckets. They close the game on a uh, 9-2 run, and the Raptors ultimately lose by 6, 111-105, the final. And the Raptors dip back down to 500 as they get set for their next game on Saturday in Miami, which we will have right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. But again, how many times have we seen this script this year, Jonesy? Fall down big, scratch claw, fight back, show your, you know, what, what, what did Gorilla Monsoon used to say? Your intestinal fortitude, mm-hmm. only to ultimately lose, right? Well, they, they, I mean, I love, there's two sides to the coin for me. I love the fight. Uh, the resiliency, the as you said, the intestinal fortitude, the will um, to come back. I mean, they were down 19. Then I look at the other side of the coin and that says, "Why are you down 19?" Yeah. Uh, like, look, this team's identity is, and people who don't watch them and are you know publications and outlets uh, south of the border who probably don't pay as much attention as they should and I mean we we do because we've been in that situation to some of the uh, you know dare I say marginal or underperforming maybe underachieving teams but they ask what's Toronto's identity and I say it's a it's a growing hard-working young team that plays defense um, and they, they like to get out and run and shoot the three, like that's that's what their that's what their identity is. And daily duct cleaning call for Paul Jones. There it is. There it is. Comes every day at this time. And I got to put them on. I got to put them on. Uh, what do you what do you call it? I should go and block the number. But um, that's that's the team that they are. And the, the other part of it is, why do you get down nineteen? Like the, the, there are times when there are are big droughts in the offense. Okay, I get that. But you should never have that big A, quote, drought, unquote, with your defense. Chicago still shot 55% for the game. Toronto's now 2-7 and seven when the opponent shoots over 50%. So, so what, what happens in the game, um, and, and uh, you know, to kind of think about what Nick Nurse had said earlier like it, it it shouldn't it shouldn't come to this like they were down 
maybe second night of the back-to-back. You know, they're down 19 early in the game. You know, they're they're they're. At one time, they were doubled up 28-14, and they come back and tie it at 41. Like, what happens in those instances where you get down big? I think you have to learn from those parts of the game. Like, your defense has to be better when you're not scoring. And when you do get a stop to, 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 to quell the, you know, any kind of uprising or put a tourniquet on your own bleeding at the offensive end, make sure you get a good shot. Take the ball to the goal. Try to get fouled. Get to the free throw line, although <laughs> that, hasn't been, <laughs> that hasn't really been helping them much lately anyway. They were 17 of 28 last night. You know, and, and there it is. They missed 11. Give me, give me six of them, and it's a tie game. You know, just over 50% of those missed, and it's a tie game. But I, I think that's the next phase in examining why you get down big like that. What, what happens? Where, where the energy goes? Uh, you know, are there common mistakes? Uh, th- those are things you have to look at. And to me, it's the defensive end. It, it, make it a rock fight. Ugly it up. If you can't score, if I can't score, well, hell, buddy, you come down to this end, you ain't going to score either, or you're going to work for what you get. So I, I love the fight. I love the resiliency. But to clean it up, um, you know, there are certain things that have to be done. I, I look at uh, one of the numbers that stands out to me is points in the paint last night, 68 for the Bulls. You know, I had an old coach that always talked about it, and it's a phrase that's always resonated with me. Keep a guy, keep a team to his average or below, and you got a chance to win. Chicago averages 42 points in the paint, uh, paint a year, uh, a game. They had 42 in the first half. That's, that spells trouble. You know, that, that spells trouble. So things like that. I mean, the Raptors last night had fewer shots than the Bulls. They normally average like 91 field goals a game. They had 79 last night. Chicago had 84 shots. Little things like those. You, you go back and you comb over the numbers and they may reinforce some of the stuff we're talking about. So, you know, looking at, looking at all the numbers, I mean, I mean, the big one to me is the 55% field goal shooting. That, that's the big one to me. And... The Raptors normally turn opponents over. They had, Chicago had 15 turnovers. The Raptors only scored 11 points. You know, fast break points. Toronto has 12. They're, they're normally much better than that. But I will say this. Man, Delano Banton did, a, did I thought he did a nice job. Uh, Scotty Barnes was, was aggressive uh, and, and had a, a solid game with 16 16, 5, and 7. So, I mean, there's some positives. E, there's always some positives that, that come out of it. So it, it's a matter of cleaning up the other stuff that isn't, that isn't great. All right. I need, to, I need to mention this. I could probably go off for a few minutes on this. This, this could turn into like a two-minute discussion or a 12-minute discussion because I think it could be the jumping-off point to a larger chat that we've had many times. 
And I don't know if he's dialed in right now. Maybe he's sitting in his hotel room in Chicago and he's listening to Smith & Jones online or something, Jonesy. By the way, Smith & Jones, Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Download the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review. My guy, Tony Brothers. Like, I'm not saying that this was the ultimate end of the game and, and an ultimate factor in the game, but it was clearly enough of a factor or, or, or it was a play that mattered enough that reporters asked to speak with him after the game. Anytime you have to talk to the officials after the game, you know something's up. And normally it might be something huge, something really egregious. So there were a few last night, because I sent out a tweet, but there were a few like, ah, whatever, forget it, it's done, it happened. Uh, of course he's going to get teched, uh, teed up and, and, and ultimately ejected because it was his second tech. But the fact that clearly I wasn't alone in this, that media in attendance, reporters, etc., sought out comment from Tony Brothers, it was an issue. So two minutes and two seconds left in the game, Raptors down by four. Gary Trent comes down the floor, knocks down a jump shot from about five, six feet. Clearly is fouled. I mean, he was hit. 32 points in the game for Gary. Back-to-back games of 30-plus. He's never done that in his career. Top score in the ballgame last night. And he looks at Tony Brothers, and you're going to hear me in the background here. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best little Academy Award-winning performance. But he looks at Tony Brothers and goes, come on. And he hits his arm. And he clapped about three, four times. Now, I saw the replay, as you did, as much of our audience did. I'm pretty terrible at reading lips. But I'm all but convinced, Jonesy. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm real close to saying I'll put any amount of money on the line. That I did not see when those lips moved anything other than come on. Or he hit me. Or blow the whistle. I didn't see... F you, F this, BS, a-hole. I didn't see any curse words, profanity, any magic words, anything about uh, about his mama or nothing. Not at least what I saw from the very quick interaction of the lips moving and the hands clapping, basically saying, come on. Like, how do you not call that? And are we at that point, really, where you can't clap at an official like saying, come on, man. Like, that's a technical now? I mean, right away, I had a few people on Twitter hit me up and say, absolutely, that's a tech. I don't agree. Again, Jonesy, you've played the game at a much higher level than I have, coached the game at a much level, higher level than I have. But the leash for a player that I would argue is not even a malcontent, doesn't even have a rep of being that type of guy. Like, heck, Kyle Lowry is a former Raptor. Might have had more of a rep because he was constantly talking to officials. Even our guy, DeMar DeRozan. I love DeMar. I love DeMar as a person, let alone as a player. He's always looking for the call, always assuming he got hit. I don't think Gary Trent's at that point where he's bitching and complaining on every single touch from the officials. But on a night where he's clearly got it going and it's in crunch time and you get hit and you can't even clap at the officials like saying, man, wake up, come on, I got hit. And that's a tech and the official knows or should know that that's going to be a second infraction and you're going to boot the leading score in the game with two minutes left in a two-point game for clapping at you, for not even cursing at you, for not even getting up into your face, nose-to-nose, bumping you, 
whatever, you're going to get a tech for clapping? Really? Uh, 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 I can see it, E. I can see wow. it. Wow. I okay. can see it because I can, but a, I'm, I'm willing to listen. Um, here's what here's what I here's what I don't like. I'll I'll use my pull out one of my pet phrases: selective enforcement of the rules. Yes. Uh, officials don't like it when you show them up. We're, we 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 both are baseball guys, right? Catcher can say anything he wants to the umpire as long as he's facing the pitcher. Do not lift up your mask. Do not turn your shoulders. Do not turn around. So 40,000 people in the stadium can see you disagreed with the call, whether it was a ball or a strike. Stay, face forward. Say what you want. And it stays between the two of you and maybe the batter and maybe Peter, uh, people in the immediate vicinity. But when you... Clap in a ref's face like that, especially a couple years ago when they talked about uh, respect for the game. We've seen more of those technicals. I don't agree that that was the time to do it with Gary Trent. I, I don't uh, agree with that. I mean, the best player in the world, the statue of LeBron James, is going to be furrowed brow, palms forward, and if it could move, head to the left shoulder and the right shoulder, like, because <laughs> yeah. that's what he does. Mm -hmm. Watch LeBron. He, every single call that's questionable, that's what he does. And he backs away and the facial expression, the mouth open, and he doesn't get a lot of tease for that. So I can see where it happens because refs don't like to be shown up. They've said if you air punch, they're, they're going to call a tech. Um, I I, th I thought Gary was fouled, but as soon as he claps and does that, they they have the right to. I don't I don't like the call at the time. I, I I I again I'll pull out another one of my phrases. You can't legislate emotion out of the game. I didn't like that, and you know, and he'd got one earlier uh, with with uh, with Vucevic, and and that had him thrown out of the game. So I, I, I can see where they would call a tech. I don't agree with it, but I'd like to see that called consistently. If not, just leave it. If you're going to call on respect for the game, then do it all the time. The other part of it is emotion takes over, and, but Gary has to understand where, what he's doing for his team in the game and where he's at and almost kind of swallowing it himself like swallow his pride and and say man i got fouled i wanted to say something have the conversation on the run back up court get to the other ref and say man what's with your boy he didn't see that the guy fouled me he pushed me whatever or there's a timeout or a stoppage you go over and you walk over and you say tony come on man that guy was on me like a bad suit like that's a foul and with nobody watching and you're not showing them up, that's when you can have your say. Or you, you do it in a way that earns you a reputation for being a good guy with the refs. Tony, come on, man. Did you not see that? See what? Man, if, I wish my woman was close to me that way. He was all <laughs> on me. And he might laugh and something and say, come on, man. I need them calls. I'm not. I'm not having 32 point games every night, man. You can give me a little extra, man. 
when I got it going, call the fouls. You know they're up on me. You know I'm, I'm, I'm burning this thing up tonight. Okay, so hold on a second. Hold on a second, Jonesy. I, I love it. I'm hearing your explanation. I get all that. So you're saying then, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm trying to understand here. You're saying then that if he had said that, even maybe in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a louder voice where he's still not swearing, but he's making it known, what got him the tea last night was clapping. Because you said earlier, and, and I'm, I'm, I don't mean to pick on your words a bit here, but you said yeah. got up in his face. He was eight feet away. He didn't run up the chest clapping. to chest. He wasn't going nose to nose. So he wasn't in his face. He was well away from him. So clapping is now a technical foul. Clapping up in his face like that? Yeah. Okay, I guess, I'm, I guess I'm nitpicking the in the face. I don't think that's in your face. I think in your face is getting right up against the guy. But well, he was he, he was close enough to him that it, there was no doubt in my mind who the gesture was directed at, right? Well, I, I agree with that, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, so maybe it's maybe it's not you know if we if we want to if we want to talk semantics here, maybe it's not yeah. it's not up in his face, but anything like that where you show, uh, you know, you show a ref up. I mean, how many times we've we seen it in baseball? There's a, a third strike call on a pitch that the batter doesn't think is a third strike, and he slumps the shoulders and looks at the ump and takes the helmet and slams it on the ground, whether he's mad at himself or not. The umpire figures he's being thrown up. Boom, out. So, I, I, I look, I'll go back to the start of this with you. I did not like the call. I just don't think that's the right time. I, I think that at that point, Tony Brothers has got to... You got to put the whistle away, and understand that. You know, a technical foul—that's a shot. The best players out of the game, like there, there are repercussions from that action. You know, maybe you you don't, and you go over to Gary Trent at a timeout, and you you say to him, "Hey, man, I was ready to throw your backside out there. You're lucky this is a close game, and I'm a good man." You know, I like just. I just think there's another way it could have been dealt with. But, yeah, they could have used Gary going down the stretch, definitely. Okay, so, so and again, as I said, this could have been a two-minute discussion. It's turned into ten because I think it's valuable. I think it's legit. Is there something to be said for, and again, I keep coming back to uh, at the risk of being repetitive. I don't, I, I, I'm arguing the semantics of I don't think it was in the face. I don't believe there was any profanity or magic words spewed out. I could be wrong with that, but I don't think there was. Is it the official's responsibility to manage or judge or assess time of game and situation? Or, because I know we've talked about this before, especially when we think about, um, well, I mean, NBA, certainly NBA playoffs, late game overtime, but we definitely talk about this when we, when we bring up the National Hockey League. Is a penalty in overtime or a penalty late in the third period the same as a penalty in the first? And most people say, yes, it should be. But in a situation like that, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, a guy claps, okay, maybe it's a tech. Fourth quarter, late in the game, leading score, frustration, maybe I missed the call. Like, I don't know. In a, in the, in a, I'm, I'm willing to give Tony Brothers this, Jonesy. If I were to you know, put myself in his shoes, in a, in a spur of the moment, in the, in the heat of the moment, would I feel like I was showing up? as an official, and do I need to make sure that I have the players and the game under control? Yes, I'm willing to see that. 
but would I be able, in the heat of the moment, to be able to step back and assess in in a blink of an eye, if he's not the leading scorer, he's one of the top scorers, he's been scoring all night, he didn't swear at me, he's a decent dude, he doesn't really talk a whole lot of the time, he's not normally like that, he didn't swear at me, should I actually blow the whistle, no, I'm going to let that go and I'm going to give him a look or I'm going to give him a lashing or a talking to when I get down the floor, because we've seen that too, which circles back to what you said almost 10 minutes ago, the selective enforcement, and it's not just with the superstars, we've seen it with, you know, the 12th man on the bench as well, heck, we see it with Nick Nurse all the time, I'm not trying to throw Nick Nurse under the bus, right now especially, with an empty arena, the amount of stuff we hear, let alone see courtside, and I'm not saying Nick is necessarily cursing and swearing like a sailor, but he is into officials' ears all the time. Like aggressively, like or maybe not aggressive isn't the right word, loudly and vehemently pleading his case on almost every single possession. The facial expressions, the body language. And again, he's not alone in this. Damn near every coach in the league is like that. I'm just saying it's Nick because we see him firsthand courtside. But almost every coach in the league is like that. And we've seen also officials vehemently, angrily, facial expressions, arguing, yelling back, giving it right back to Nick, giving it right back to other coaches or other players. So you, you show that you do have a leash or you show that you are willing to engage in conversation or even engage in argument but then in a tightly contested game where a free throw an and one would have made it a one-point game instead it's a technical it's a free throw for them and suddenly they're up three the selective enforcement we'll say it again i'll use your line again to not know when you are or aren't going to be teed when you are or aren't going to be given a leash that's, I guess, where I've got the ultimate problem. So to me then, when I see a game tonight, if I see a dude argue with the official, I want the tech called. If I see a guy get bumped, I want the foul called. Because I don't know half the time now what a flagrant is, what a flagrant one or two is, what, what a technical is, what a clear path is, what a carry is. I've gotten to the point where I don't even know. And I respect that, as you often say, it's such a difficult game and maybe the hardest game and 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 – and officials, I'm not saying have an easy job, but it's gotten to the point where I don't even know what is or isn't going to be called half the time, and that's not good. If I don't know, and if we're guessing a ton of the time, that's not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what what I have think I sometimes to gets to me is no. Yeah, we have, we have, and we'll get off it in a minute. This is I'll I'll put a bow on it with this. Uh, officials are human. And we have sat in establishments with them. Uh, we have walked airports with them. Heck, we've been court, like uh, almost quarantined. We've had them. We've been holed up with them with because of flights and mm-hmm. weather, and mm-hmm. had them on the uh, you know sat at the back of the team bus and talked to them when they had to travel with us to get somewhere and to get to a flight because they had a connector and like, and, and they're, they're, they're good guys. I like them all. They have the toughest job in pro sports. Basketball is harder yes. to officiate than, than any other game. And I'll, I'll, I'll fight anybody, anybody who wants to debate me on that, uh, bring it on. But don't tell me they don't know. And they always say, no, we ref the name on the front, not the name on the back. They, they can't, there's immense pressure. They, they can't, they have to know, they have to understand. And maybe there's times when they say, I'm not taking that from that guy. I'll take it from LeBron. 
I'll take it from Donovan Mitchell. I'll take it from Greg Popovich. But I'm not taking that from that guy because my line for this type of player moves closer. Moves, it's at a different point in the sand than it is for this type of player. And I've always said, again, you know, here I go, competition committee, go to the summer league rule, the no foul out rule where a foul is a foul. And if the coach wants to leave the guy in because it's his seventh foul at the end of the game and the other team gets one shot in the ball or two shots in the ball, depending on how you do with the rule, then take the pressure off the official to not give, oh, I don't know, LeBron or, or, or Durant or Curry or one of those guys their sixth foul that would throw them out of the game for marketing. Maybe the game's on TNT or ESPN, and it's the one trip that uh, Steph Curry has to uh, Brooklyn. or Like, hey, like they know. They know. I'm sorry. That as much as they say they don't, they know. They're only human. They're fans in the, of the game. They understand the game, too, and they have a tough job. I just think you have to do things that takes some of the – not that it's bad, but takes some of the judgment away where it can be interpreted either way, and and it it becomes it becomes problematic. All right, I'm 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 willing to listen to that. I, I I hear you. I hear you, and and I also listen. I think it can be applied to life, right? And and damn near every workforce, uh, families. You just talked about my leash might be longer with player X versus player Y. My leash might be longer with kid one versus kid two, with employee A yep. versus employee B, with student one versus student two, right? So I, I listen, I get that. I get that. I, you know, I hear you. We'll leave it at that. I hear you. Uh, so the Raptors, again, lose 111-105 to the Chicago Bulls. Gary Trent Jr. Uh, with 32 points in the loss, first time in his career, going back-to-back with 30-plus. DeMar DeRozan for the Bulls with 29 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. Pascal Siakam had a rough night for Toronto. 12 points on three of 12 shooting. Seven rebounds, seven assists. OG with 23. Scotty Barnes with 16, seven and five points, assists, and rebounds. Raptors playing again without Fred Van Vliet. Hopefully back in the lineup on Saturday against the Miami Heat. But let me circle back to Siakam. Rough night for him again. Three of 12 with the 12 points. But after the ball game, uh, he had a few comments. And uh, one that sort of stood out, at least from my perspective, from your perspective as well, wanted to pass it along to the audience if they didn't hear it. Uh, here's Siakam talking about former teammate uh, DeMar DeRozan and the impact that DeRozan had on, on him and obviously so many others as a member of the Raptors. He's, he's always been one of my favorite players, just the, the way he plays the game. Um, I love his mid-range game and his patience. Um, and, and then I think his passing, you know, has been on another level, just making reads and and um, understanding the double team. So, yeah, he's definitely one of those guys that you watch. Um, he's been in the league for a while. He's, he's done it. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, one of the things that he does is get into his spots, which is something that I'm learning to do. Um, and, and he does it at a, high, at a very high level. Um, so, yeah, like, if I can even get close to that, I think I'd be in good shape. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely one of those guys. There's Siakam on DeRozan. I guess maybe Jonesy, even the, I don't know, silver lining, it's, it means nothing. You still got the loss. But on a night with no Van Vliet and Siakam going 3 of 12 for only 12 points, you lose by 6 in a game where you had a lead late, and it came down basically to the final 30 seconds of the ballgame. That's, that's a positive sign, but 
woulda, coulda, shoulda, you fall down to 500, and you got to make sure you try and get your head back above water uh, in Miami on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, man, the, you know, the, the, the hard thing to take if you're a Raptor fan is – they're in every game, and you can look at a part yeah. of every game and say shoulda, coulda, woulda. Look at look at the last look at the last stretch of games where they're they they're they're up. They're like they they win, they lose, they win, they lose. They just you know those could they could easily be on a like four or five game winning streak now. You know the I mean as bad as the Portland game was, down thirty four, and they come back and chop the thing to four with. You know, a minute and change to go. That's a normal game. It doesn't matter how it gets there, but that's a that's a that's a regular occurrence in the NBA. Four point game, minute and change to go. Like, okay, let's see what we got. Doesn't matter that we ha- we were down thirty four, but this is where we are now. It doesn't matter that they were down nineteen last night. They had the lead with three minutes to go. So they, I, this team is just there. They are on. I really feel that they're. I wouldn't say they're sputtering at 500 because that's not a bad place to be, but they're on the cusp. They really are if they can just clean a few things up. They, they played that game without Fred last night. Now, people will say, yeah, there was no Lonzo Ball or Alex Caruso. Well, yeah, they still had DeMar DeRozan. The Raptors still had Pascal Siakam. Had an off night, but still, I mean, that was that was a heck of a game. It was it was indeed uh, a heck of a game. Here's another one to quickly discuss, and then we'll take the break, come back with our man, Matty D. I just had to at least mention it. Um, what do we have, 10 games in the association last night? Many to talk about the Phoenix Suns getting another win. Uh, Memphis continues to roll. But, uh, excuse me, on the second night of a back-to-back, after losing to the Toronto Raptors, the Charlotte Hornets go into Indiana. Uh, excuse me, 158 points. <laughs> Franchise record, 158. Yeah. Charlotte beats the Pacers, 158 to 126. Kelly Oubre Jr. off the bench with 39. LaMelo Ball with a triple-double, 29, 13 assists, and 10 rebounds. Like, Jonesy, 158 points. How the hell does that happen? Uh, I don't know. They get up and down. I mean, if there was a good team for Toronto to play without Scotty Barnes and and uh, Fred Van Vliet, because their their defense sometimes is it's it's all gamble. You know, they they take a gamble at the ball and they don't get it. That's okay. Give them the hoop. We'll we'll go down and score at the other end. Um, but yeah, they they get up and down, man. And um, Lamelo Ball's got that flair. He's got that. He's got that kind of, you know, Pete Maravich, uh, you know, guys that are, they're effective, but they always have a little extra sauce. Like, what did you say, Jason Williams? Jason Williams, yeah. Is that what Jason Williams? Yeah, to me, that was was the most recent one, Jason Williams, I think. Yeah, Yeah, and I like that comparison. He, and, and it's not all just for show, I mean... It it's it 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 helps them do something. It helps them win games and score points and get assists. So, um, anyway, it, Raptors better keep Charlotte in their sights because they could be a team that they're running into a little later on. 
Yep. Well, after uh, last night's actions, you, action, excuse me, you take a look at the standings. The Raptors dip down to ninth now, uh, sitting just behind the Boston Celtics, a half game back of the Celts, and now, uh, what, two and a half back of Charlotte in the seventh seed. All right, we will discuss more about the Raptors, the standings, the next game coming up on Miami, and a whole lot more uh, with our guy, Matty D. Matt Devlin, up next on Smith & Jones. Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. The Raptors coming off the loss last night in Chicago to the Bulls. Now down south, enjoying a little bit of sunshine before getting set for their next tilt against the Heat on Saturday. We'll have that action for you right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan and the man that will call it on the TV side of things as well joins us right now, Matt Devlin. Matty D, how are you today? Doing well. How you doing? Good, Maddie. Hey, Maddie. Uh, e, and yes, maybe sir. Maddie can help us out with this. We had a couple of people hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Michael Hobson, who's a, a regular listener and, and, and uh, commenter, interactor, contributor, he said it was Michael Smith that gave the tech to Trent, yeah, not Tony Brothers. Yeah. It was Michael Smith. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, it was, and, yeah. And, and, Maddie, we sometimes see this, that refs are, the officials are, they're 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 protective of one another, right? Like uh, one a coach will be up in a ref's face, and the guy on the other side of the court whistles them for the tech, right? Like like yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, so. it, it 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 does happen. I, I, interestingly enough, um, you know, I was listening to your uh, conversation and also watching uh, the Raptor game in thirty, uh, as I like to do, and. Just at that moment, you kind of see it, and it's tough. I, As I was watching it, I was saying this, and this is a little bit of a different topic of conversation, but last night's game, there were so many nuances to it and, and so many things that were going on. And I know as you guys are calling games out of a studio, we're calling games out of a studio as well. Last night's game was just one of those nights where – you knew that if you're in the building, you, there was a lot of sense and feel to last night's game. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and you know, calling the – essentially, we're just seeing everything that everybody at home is seeing where, as we know, when you're calling a game live in person, you kind of have that ability to create more of a panoramic view and take everything in. But, you know, ultimately, it's a very tough spot to call you know, that tech, um, and, you know, Michael Smith was the one that did call it. It's a big bucket because it was 107 to 105 at that time. Gary wanted an and one, and that's where you you look back and you say, if you're the ref, hey, Gary, next time, right? In that conversation, and we've, and we've talked about this so many I times agree. over the course I of agree. the year, you, that – in today's day and age, there's because of all the camera angles, because of all the mics, because of all the video, all the conversations that used to happen along the course of a basketball game, some of that is now gone. And, and what I mean by that is the interaction between the officials and 
also uh, the players and coaches. And that was something that they specifically got away from. And as you guys both know, Dick Bavetta, right, that was part of, you know, hey, let's have a conversation. Monty McCutcheon's tried to bring back some of that, right, the conversation saying, hey, you know, this is what I saw. Hey, hey, Maddie. Yeah. Maddie, you and I, we were in San Antonio years back, and we won't name the official, where a star player for the Spurs stood, and we were both courtside, stood right in front of us and dressed an official down with language that would make a longshoreman blush. And the ref had the arms folded, looked at him, and said, okay, are you done? That's enough. And walked away. And if anybody else would have said that and this had not been a star player, you are so far out of the building. And and it's like we talk about, the, the interactions. I, I, I just thought, you're right, it was such a tough tough spot to, to, to make that call. And it, and I thought it had an impact on the game. I agree with you. It did. It, it did. There's no question that that throwing out Gary Trent Jr., who was having a game of games and second night, 32 points, Raptors right there, not only from an offensive standpoint, but his ability to guard. Very difficult, very difficult spot. Speaking with Matt Devlin, Maddie, what have you liked about this team? Uh, I'm not going to say all season, but especially of late, where Jonesy and I were talking off the top. How many games have they had like this? It seems like yeah, it's, it's close to almost every night. Where it's it's if they if they don't get the victory, it's pretty rare for them to get their their teeth knocked around. It's kind of woulda coulda shoulda fall down big, make the comeback, or have a lead and squander it and fight down to the final minutes. Like this team has been in a lot of games. And I, I, I tend to think that that shows me positive signs for later this year, for next season, for the future of what this team is trying to build because they're showing a lot of fight against a lot of good clubs. They are. They're resilient, but that is the character and the makeup of this organization under Masai Jiri, Bobby Webster, and Nick Nurse. It doesn't matter the score. They always believe that they can win down big. You go back to Sunday – when you return home, you take on Portland with no fans in the stands. You're down 34 points. You cut it to four, 105-101. This is a resilient group. There's just no question about that. And I look forward to when you know Nick looks around that bench and, and has eight players, right, that top eight that we've seen, I think, what, all at once, you know, thus far this season. So that's extremely difficult to do. It's extremely difficult to manage. And yet here the Toronto Raptors are, you know, at 500, you know, a pivotal stretch here of the season against teams that you know you can do some damage. Uh, I'm encouraged by all of this. And you you just – and and here's the other piece to this. There's a reason why – I know people would like to see – you know, bench minutes and all these other different things. It, it's a partnership with the top players on this team and Nick Nurse and the amount of minutes that are being played, the focus, the drive, the will to win, all-star games, all those things are accounted for. And you, there have been multiple opportunities for players who – Svee Mihailuk, I love that signing. They gave him an opportunity – and unfortunately, for whatever reason, he just hasn't made shots. And maybe that opportunity comes again. 
right, to show that you're a rotation player, you know, in the NBA. Yuta Watanabe, the same thing. But those players, they've had opportunities, and if they come again, they're going to have to really seize it because we are heading toward that trade deadline. Yeah. What what do you think, Matt? What do you, like? I mean, there's there's so many factors at play come trade deadline. Eric and I have thrown this around, and I always think you make in this position, especially with the Raptors. I I think you make your trades with an eye to the future, and you do nothing that says, "Well, we're really going to go for it now." Because I don't I don't think you're in that position quite yet. I mean. I mean, you could surprise and make a run. Who knows what happens with injuries when you get into the playoffs and all that. But um, I, I, I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's time to give up major assets to try and rush the process along. I mean, you know, people say to us now, wouldn't JV look good in a Raptor uniform? Yeah, he yeah. would now. But you, you had, you got Marcus all and you got a banner up there. Right. Well, look at. You know, if you you right, I mean, the one thing that you have is an expiring contract, and you know, is there a team that wants to get um, out from under a contract? That's really where you start looking. But here, here's the most difficult thing to do in the NBA or in professional sports, and the Raptors have shown that they can do it: is win and develop at the same time. Yeah. It is extremely hard to yeah. do it. And here are the Raptors, right? Vegas didn't have them, you know, at 500. You know, the Raptors are right here at 500. And you, we can all look at this and say, okay, this is a team that quite possibly could have two or three more wins. They, they've used 19 different starting lineups, which I think is – what's that fifth or sixth most in the NBA. So winning and developing is not easy. The Raptors have shown that they can do it. And when you think about who they have, and then you think about the timeline of those players, you know, Pascal is entering his prime at 27. Fred Van Vliet is entering his prime at 27. You have a 23 year old Gary Trent jr. Who, when you look back at that trade, I mean, Gary Trent Jr. has just been outstanding. You have OG Ananobi, still young, entering that time frame. So, and Scotty Barnes, a rookie. You have a, you have a good core that knows that they can win. And that has, in Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam, they have that championship pedigree. There's no question about it. And the decision now becomes, okay, can we add another piece to this group that's going to elevate us into that top six in the Eastern Conference. Now, I think if they're healthy right now, they're in the top six. But is there somebody that you can – and we'll have to wait and see. We know how good Bobby and Masai are at managing this and evaluating this. And and although he's made in-season moves, Masai, there have – you know – in the past, he has always talked about how he likes to look at, you know, that summertime to kind of take everything in. But, you know, the Raptors, you know, have been a team that have been willing uh, to do deals. And again, you have Goran Dragic in that contract. And that, to me, is going to be the interesting piece here. 
you start looking around. Is there somebody with a big contract where a team's headed in the wrong direction that doesn't want to sit on that contract anymore? Speaking with Matt Devlin, Matty, you were mentioning Speed Mihailuk, uh, among others. When you look at the second unit for the Raptors, um, Delano Banton, last couple of games, has been back in the rotation. Now, obviously, part of that is the fact that Fred Van Vliet hasn't played. When Freddie is back, uh, and maybe even when Ken Birch is back, I don't know how that, Im- that impacts the rotation overall, the second unit where you assume that you know maybe Precious is coming off the bench again, so you've got Boucher. Uh, and, and you've got Precious, and, and you know things are going to look a little bit different. Do you think Banton has gotten himself back into the mix now where he's going to see regular minutes, whether it's 10, not 20? But is he back in the rotation, you think, or is this just situational because of Freddie? Well, I think it's a combination of matchups and also Fred not being there. As we know with Nick Nurse, it's the same thing with the Malachi Flynn. When you look around... Um, certainly without Fred Van Vliet and Malachi gets some run over the last two nights, but you have Ish Smith playing for Charlotte last night. You have Kobe White, for instance, right undersized guards, you know, from a matchup standpoint uh, that work with Malachi Flynn. We all love Delano Banton's upside. There's no question about it. His length is extremely disruptive. Think back to last night from a double standpoint. That's three consecutive games now that he's played, including his massive 905 game on Monday. So that's all good, and that's what he needs. And we talked about that winning and developing. And so I could definitely see, uh, depending upon the matchup situations, you know, what exactly you were just mentioning, which is, you know, maybe it's not, you know, 15 to 20 minute, 25 minute runs, but, you know, is there that 10 minute run? where you can create a spark. I think the big thing is, you know, and we've seen Chris, you know, really start to turn the corner with this and got a little loose with it last night with, you know, first couple of shots being threes, but, you know, buy in and Nick has talked about this, you know, the core of what you do and who you are, and that's energy rebound block shots. I'm talking about Boucher and for Banton, as he continues to grow as a player, you know, buy into from a defensive standpoint, this is what you're going to do right now on this team. You could also extend that to Precious Achua. I think last night there was a couple of offensive situations. You saw Pascal, right, like, hey, move the ball, right, make that extra pass. And so there are, and again, it's it's youth and it's learning that one night you are impactful doing what you're doing, which is rebounds, putbacks, block shots, guard, defend. And then the next night you're like, okay, you know, I want to expand that, right? And, and, and that's a hard thing always to monitor, and you have to feel that because there's a tremendous amount of responsibility, individual responsibility on the offensive end when you play for Nick Nurse to make the next pass, to make the right play. Right. Guarding, as we know, there are principles. This is exactly what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And then we'll change on the fly from an offensive standpoint, that ball, when that ball moves, right, the responsibility is, okay. there's a lot of freedom, but make that next play, make that right play. So I know, Eric, I kind of took it to a little bit of a different thing, but it's kind of inclusive of, you know, three or four players probably with their time. You can take it wherever you want, Matty. Appreciate the time always, uh, and we will uh, see you down at the at the gym, I guess, on the weekend. All the best, man. Well, we'll see you on uh, 
Saturday, uh, we'll be back calling games, Scotiabank Arena. Where are you calling games uh, Saturday? Actually, night? yeah, you know, we'll, we'll we'll be at the studios for that one, obviously. So okay. I don't think we'll cross yeah. paths. But but yeah, hey, yeah, no, we won't. We'll see it. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see it. Whatever. Hey, after we'll twenty five years, come on, you get to do whatever you want, man. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. You got the gold yeah. watch. What got time do you need your dry cleaning going. dropped off at? When when do you need that? I'll I'll, yeah, I'll make right. sure I get it to you. Right. Yeah. All right. Right. <laughs> Thanks, sure. Maddie. Sure. You got here's another twenty five. Yeah, yeah, appreciate that. 25 days, weeks, months, years. Uh, Matt Devlin, TV voice of the Toronto Raptors. And again, Jonesy and I will be back with the action of the Raptors and Heat on Saturday night. Back on Smith & Jones, Paul Jones, Eric Smith with you. And we'll continue to talk about the NBA this hour and look back to last night's game with the Bulls and the Raptors and the Chicago success this season overall, the Eastern Conference. Lots to discuss with Adam Amin, play-by-play voice of the Bulls, when he joins us in a few minutes' time. And, of course, Adam calls games um, in the National Football League for Fox Sports. And uh, speaking of that, we will chat about the NFL quite a bit this hour as well. And, and Jonesy, maybe before we get into the postseason chatter again, AFC-NFC Championship coming up this weekend, uh, a lot of vacancies in the NFL in terms of head coaching gigs, and some are starting to be filled as we speak. Yeah, and so far they're 0 for 2 uh, when I look at ED and I again. I, again, you know, and you always you always bust my chops about the fact that I'm a Browns fan, but I'm a Mike Tomlin fan. I'm a Mike Tomlin mm-hmm. fan because he's a black man that has shown he can do the job because he was given an opportunity and they were patient with him. Uh, and it's not it's not coincidental that we have the Rooney rule because of the owners of the Steelers that says, you you know, you, you have to kind of interview minority candidates or, or in, you know, in college football where you can count the number of D1 black head coaches with both hands. You don't even need to take off your shoes and socks. And here's the NFL, you know, Black Monday, they call it, where the, all the coaches get fired. That happened. And I think there were nine openings. E, Somebody check me on that. Uh, maybe Lance or, or Mark Boffo, our, our great do-it-all, versatile, crack research, production, whatever team they need to be. Uh, you know, housekeeping, meal team, whatever they need to be, they are. They're they're the ultimate, those two guys. Maybe they can double-check me on this. But I think there were nine openings, and two have already been filled. And one was filled with a coordinator from Green Bay, and another one just filled with a coordinator from the Colts. I still haven't heard the names of people like Eric Bieniemy. uh... Um, Bulls, like I, I haven't heard any of these minority names that have been, that are being touted for these jobs. I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, and it, it comes down to, you know, we had the chat with Kevin Weeks yesterday and we're going to have Adam Amin on too, who's a, a minority calling games. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like, you know, yesterday we talked with Kevin Weeks. Why isn't he, as he pointed out with all of his teammates that are in front office position, 
And you you hear Kevin, you see him on TV. He knows the game in and out. And and was on the ice. Like why 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 no job? You know, why I don't get it. And now the NFL two more guys. And this is what I mean by the momentum doesn't keep going. There's a lot of huffing and puffing and smoke and noise, but when it comes down to it, things quote go back to normal unquote. And normal doesn't always work for people that don't look like the way they're supposed to, be they black, brown, female, uh, LGBTQ+, plus, uh, y- y- you name it. it, it, it they, they just, they're, it's like they're, they, maybe I include myself, we are in a separate lineup that other people pass by the rope to get into the club and we're still waiting outside. I, 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 I don't get it. The NFL, bang, two vacancies snapped up. I haven't heard of, like, maybe I should do a deeper dive and I'm just kind of flying off the top of my head here to see who was actually interviewed. But even that, you know, and, and I've said it with African-American coaches in the NBA. Chauncey Billups comes to Portland. Neil Olshay out. His star player, all of a sudden there's there's questions around him. Is he going to be around? Does he want in or out? He gets injured. Now Chauncey's struggling. Steven Silas gets hired. He's, he's going to Houston. He thinks he's getting Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Instead, he's got Jalen Green and the second pick in the draft. Like, it, it's it's hard to succeed in, 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 in instances like that. I'm not saying you can't because I look at Monty Williams and what he took over and what, you know, he worked in concert with James Jones, and they're, they, they might be the best team in the NBA right now, probably are. So it's not impossible, but, man, being put in a position, one, to have the job, and two, to succeed, it, it, it just it seems like it doesn't happen a lot for people that, that, don't, that don't fit a certain profile. So, Jonesy, let me ask you this, and maybe it speaks to the exact issue you're discussing. Maybe it's, it, it's, it's kind of peeling the onion back a little bit more. Um, and let me be clear in saying this. I think you know this, but I want to make sure the, the audience does. I'm in, I'm in lockstep with everything you just said. You know, you know I believe in everything you just said. Some, though, might look at this and go, well, are there actually legit candidates right now are there candidates that should have been considered ahead of the white guy that got hired are there as many black assistant coaches or or um you know assistant gms or whatever that should be considered and to me that's maybe where the issue starts is if there aren't enough hired as coordinators as assistants as management as whatever then yeah, chances are when the bigger positions and the head coaching positions come up, there will be less interviewed, less considered, because there are less at even the lesser positions, if I'm making sense, right? Like, so we focus yeah. on the head coaching, but what about the other positions where even getting your foot in the door to start on that path of start as a coordinator, start as a tight ends coach? Like, Sean McVay, I think we both would agree, is a great coach. It's a great coach and a somebody, great young coach. Somebody Still gave a young him a coach. chance. Gave him a chance somebody at 30 chance. years old to be a head coach. He right. was a head coach at right. 30 years old. Now, he also was a tight ends coach before that. So my point is, can you even get that foot in the door to be the tight ends coach, 
to then become the offensive coordinator and then do that job for five, six years. And then when you are interviewed for a head coach, it isn't just viewed, and I'm saying ignorantly and incorrectly, as a token interview. No, it's because it's a legit interview where you have earned your stripes. But if you're not even given that opportunity to earn the stripes, then you know what? How am I going to get that interview? That's the age-old thing of whether it's a 14-year-old kid or a 44-year-old person, how do I get experience if you're not willing to give me the chance to get experience? Well, and, and but I think that's where they are because there are enough – I mean, you know, there's one in Indy, there, there's one in Pittsburgh, there's one in Dallas. There's, I mean, look at Bruce Arians' staff in 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 Tampa last year. Uh, yeah. You know, like there 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 are enough people around that if you want to find somebody like that, you can, you can. And and I I just think it. I've always said this in any organization, it starts with the people at the top and the hiring the 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 philosophy in the hiring practices you know uh bowles caldwell leslie fraser you know vance joseph uh you know marvin lewis like like raheem morris these guys you know eric the enemy like they're byron leftwich they they they, these they they're like there's eight names right there i had i had to look them up because so many were going through my head there's you don't think those guys deserve a shot they haven't been in the job like, and again, I, I, I commend the Steelers for their uh, patience. They're, they're, first of all, giving the opportunity and the patience with Mike Tomlin. And you know that. I've said this millions of times. I'm a Browns fan, but I got a lot of respect for Mike Tomlin. It's the ultimate in, in, in you know, it's the ultimate in, in mixed emotions. I, I love Mike Tomlin. I like what he's, I love what he's doing, what he stands for. You've seen him. He's a no BS guy. Remember going back to uh, the the the, uh, uh, the 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 issues in New England with the headsets not working and stuff like that. And they asked him about it. He said it happens here all the time. He looked right into the camera and said it. It happens here all the time. And people said, "What do you mean?" He said, "I said what I said. Like I'm not I'm not going to try and explain stuff. Like we come here and we get screwed." Like, figure it out. So I, I, I love the guy. He's, he's, he's no nonsense. But his guys, obviously, look, the measure of a coach is if your team quits on you, that says they don't believe in you. And, and Dwayne Casey said it. I never forget the line. There are two groups of people you can't fool, kids and NBA players. And, and I would extend that to kids and professional athletes. They know the guy they're playing for. So I, I just think it, it comes down to giving people chances, stepping out, giving them opportunities. And if your philosophy isn't as such, it ain't going to happen no matter how much people like me and you and others jump up and down about it. Lance Kennedy is on it. Seven openings left, so I was right with my nine. Jacksonville, Vegas, uh, Minnesota, Miami, the Giants, uh, New Orleans, and, and uh, the Texans. So... Houston. So there you go. Seven left. I'll be keeping score and taking notes on the next seven that are hired. Well, can I can I say this? You know, I, I guess somewhat tongue in cheek, but I'd be happy for the man for all the reasons you just laid out. Let alone the fact that he's more than deserving. But at the same time, as a salty Buffalo Bills fan, right about now, Jonesy, 
please give Leslie Frazier a head coaching job because I don't know if I want him back with the Bills <laughs> after the way the Bills defensively had that meltdown uh, late in the ball game and especially in overtime. And I, and again, I'm saying that somewhat tongue in cheek. He's more than deserving that Buffalo Bills team was was if not the top defense. Uh, among the top three, five defenses in the league all season, but I'm still salty about last weekend and how that thing unfolded and the fact that they couldn't hold the Chiefs for freaking 13 seconds. So you know what? Go take your defense to New York, and I will pat you on the back and congratulate you for finally getting this opportunity. But, man, I'm still salty. A man that has been calling action uh, in the National Football League all season. And, of course, you know him as the voice, the television voice of the Chicago Bulls as well. And uh, I will publicly, on our both of our behalf, apologize uh, for we were supposed to have him on the show yesterday, but we got into a very deep conversation with Kevin Weeks. And very rare, very rare that we, 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 we bump or shift a guest on Smith & Jones. But uh, Adam Amin was, was uh, kind enough to say, it's cool, no problem, get me back on Thursday. So he joins us right now, Adam Amin. Adam, thanks for the time. Oh, no worries, boys. Always, always a pleasure to speak with you. Hey, Adam. Adam, um, you would have... Yeah, you go would ahead, have loved the conversation. You would have loved the conversation yesterday. Um, you know, talking about people mm-hmm. that uh, that don't look like the majority uh, getting into jobs, and I'm I'm so proud of you for uh, you know, and and the Bulls organization. You know, for somebody, you know, we always. My dad used to, my late father used to say this: behind every great thing that a a minority person does, there's a majority culture person willing to take a chance on them. So, um, some proud of the Bulls for taking their chance on you, but. It wasn't really a chance. We kind of knew that you would, you could, and would do this job very well, my brother. <laughs> no, I appreciate you, brother, and 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 it was a very important conversation that that, that you guys had with Kevin, and I applaud you all uh, for for like giving him the space to to speak about those things are very important. Uh, I'm sure there are some people in a certain sect that hear these things to this day and probably feel some level of fatigue to them, but I, I don't, I. I I'm sure it doesn't come from a place of malice. I just, I think those conversations are too important not to have and uh, perspectives that are too often shut out that need to be heard a little bit more. And, and just the exposure to those concepts, those conversations, those ideas is a, is a good thing. You know, somebody somewhere mm-hmm. is going to hear it and hear Kevin's voice and, and, you know, the pain it felt like that he was talking with yesterday and, and and respect that and appreciate that and maybe think about that that a little bit deeper. So that's a good thing. So I'm glad you guys did that. Uh, I mean, Adam, I, I I hope it goes without saying, and I I hope that I speak on behalf of a lot of people. Sadly, I probably don't. But as a as a as a white man, when you talk about people maybe being fatigued or tired, I I, I got to assume it pales 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 in comparison to the fatigue that so many people of color and visible minorities have felt for years in so many different ways, shapes, and forms. So I don't have any time for anybody that says they have fatigue or they're tired of hearing of it because it clearly, sadly, continues to be an issue across sports and across society to this day. So these are conversations that absolutely need to be had as often as we can and as often as we should, period. Yeah, and it's uh, this time of year this conversation pops up in sports a little bit more too because the NFL – and I know you guys were just talking about some of the coaching uh, hires and things of that nature. This conversation comes up, and it has the last few years with, with you know, coaches like Eric Bieniemy and things like that. You know, how much of that is a factor? I don't know. I don't. I don't have all the answers. I, I don't. I will never pretend to uh, have all the answers for it. But these are conversations that seemingly pop up this time of year, especially when it comes to NFL coaching hires and you know, the Rooney Rule and how that's perceived amongst 
whether it's coaches themselves or whether it's front office people or writers, whatever it may be, the, the various entities that kind of make up the off-season cycle for the NFL. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of those conversations that take place right about now, too. So, again, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are getting exposed to this from a lot of different angles, which is probably a good thing in the long run. Yeah, yeah. Adam, let's, uh, you know, let, let's, let's talk hoops. Um, uh, we, Eric and I didn't get a chance to hang with you uh, yesterday, but hopefully, uh, you know, when things iron themselves out, we, we get a chance to do it. Um, you know, we get a chance to maybe see you in Toronto uh, when yep. the Bulls are back up here. Um, this Chicago team continues a run that not many people thought they would have or would have had to this point at least. Um, with the wins and, and even banged up last night. You know, we talked about the Raptors last night playing without Fred. Well, you know, Caruso and Lonzo Ball are, are out for, for the foreseeable future, for the long term. And, um, you know, the, the, the Bulls keep leaning people out and getting get to the finish line before others. Yeah, and it hasn't come in, in the easiest fashion by any means, especially the last two wins. You know, they led by... 28 in the third quarter against Oklahoma city and, and barely held on. And, you know, the 19 point lead against the Raptors uh, last night and, and, you know, we're able to hang on, but the, the, this is the NBA this week and last, right? <laughs> this is the, the week of the comeback uh, based on what the Clippers have done. My goodness, you know, the, the two or three or four comebacks now they've had of, uh, of, of, of great margins. They've been able to get over in particular the, the one the other night against Washington but this is a little bit more of a struggle right now for this group. I think more so on the defensive end than on offense. When DeRozan and Levine are all out there, I think Javante Green's an important piece. Uh, Dosumu is helping to run the point right now in the absence of Alonzo Ball. Vucevic has been up and down as a shooter, although he's been much better the last couple of games. There's a lot to try to navigate through without a true point guard right now in Lonzo Ball. I think there, there are some issues there on the offensive end. I think defensively, Green was very impactful, and I think you all saw that yesterday. He had been missing uh, for, for the entire month of January up until Monday, and his impact was felt on the very first play. Off the tip-off, it was felt, and, and it was felt throughout the game. Uh, defensively, their point of attack uh, pressure is just not as good, and it's not as effective with the lineup that they currently have. Without Caruso and Ball, who are very long at the top of, of any defense, it really affects your point of entry as an offensive playset, as, as, as an offense. It affects you. And to not have that and to try to make the adjustments, it's going to be, there's going to be some growing pains, you know, especially when the quote-unquote elite teams come in in a few weeks when you, you have to see Philadelphia and, and you have to see Phoenix. And, you know, when you go in March, you're going to have to make another West Coast trip and go see Utah again and, and see some of these, you know, skilled teams that have great three-level scoring options. Defensively, this is going to be a little bit of a struggle, and they're going to have to grind out wins like they did the other night against Toronto. Hey, Adam, I, I want to go to a name you just brought up briefly there in, in Dosumu. Um, I was chatting yesterday with, with your colleague, our colleague, Chuck Swirsky, um, mm -hmm. and we, we, we got into a discussion with the Raptors, and I mentioned Scotty Barnes, and, and my mistake when I said, you know, people talking about Scotty Barnes' steal of the draft. And as Chuck said, and I wholeheartedly agree, and Jonesy, you and I have discussed this before as well, it's ridiculous that people even talk about, you know, Scotty as a steal at number four because he was going to go number five to the Orlando Magic anyways. It's not like it was a reach for the Raptors to jump up one pick and to not take Suggs and to go with Barnes because he was going to go top five anyways. When you talk about Dosumu, that's a steal. I mean, we're talking about a second-round guy 
almost in the 40s, and having the impact that he's having, this guy looks like the real deal, big time. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to, to use the phrase just yet because I, I still would like to see it over, you know, maybe another 10 starts or so. And he's going to make those starts because, like you guys talked about, you know, those, you know, those key players are going to be out for a length of time, Caruso and Ball, and, uh, and even a player like Derek Jones Jr. So Io is going to get those minutes. So I don't want to use the phrase just yet but I feel like he's certainly working towards steel of the draft. I really do believe that it's, it's starting to turn into this is a first round talent that you were able to get at number 38 and he plays with a chip on his shoulder and maybe he would be, you know, a little less effective if he were a first round pick, maybe he wouldn't feel that burn or that, that chip as, as deeply as he does, but he feels it. And he's a competitive kid who everybody on this roster and the coaching staff has all gravitated towards and said, you know, he does things the right way. His approach is, is very easygoing. He's very sponge-like in his learning ability. He asks the right questions. He, he competes strong. He competes hard. And he's earned the respect of a lot of players on the, on the roster. And, you know, for DeMar DeRozan, and, and you all obviously know DeMar and, and understand the type of human being he is, but for DeMar DeRozan to take this rookie under his wing, you know, he had his jersey retired uh, at Illinois his uh, college jersey retired a a couple of weeks back and DeMar drove down to Champaign to be with Io and to support him and and said I know what that's like and I know what it's like to have have moments like that and and to want to have the support of your teammates and and he went down and did that so the attitude with which he plays the demeanor he carries the chip on the shoulder certainly the skill set that he came in with as a shot maker from the mid-range and and as a decent to solid three-point shooter He's tenacious defensively. He's not the best defender. He's, he's got a long way to go there. But he plays with a tenacity that's important for a rookie. He, he doesn't back down, much like Scotty. You know, I, I, Scotty had that moment with Tony Brothers last night, and Tony had to shut him down, and, and that's a rookie moment for Scotty. But, but he's unflappable, and, and I respect that about Scotty Barnes. And I feel that same thing at Io Dosumbu. The, the, the tenacity, the, the willingness to, to be challenged, by an opponent, by your teammate, by your coaching staff. I, I have a lot of respect for what Io has brought. And obviously he's going to be a fan favorite, much like Delano is for you guys uh, being a local kid. You know, same deal with Io Dosumo being a local guy. So, Adam, how do you, how do you, um, how do you reconcile the fact that as well as the Bulls are doing now, people are still – still kind of leery about experience and what things might be like come playoff time. I understand it. And, uh, and you know, on this roster, other than, you know, DeRozan, who's been through some battles and, and obviously had those years running into LeBron, and, and, you know, that's where you and I got to know each other, Paul, and, and see some mm-hmm. of those difficult series. You know, like, it, it, it's not to say that, I think the, the regular perception, the casual perception would be that, oh, LeBron just dominated Toronto, and, and you certainly think of some big moments, but those are some knockdown dragout games that came down to the last shot. And I, I feel like he's been through enough of those battles to where he brings a decent amount of experience. Vucevic has a couple of playoff wins. Uh, I think they beat Milwaukee one year in Toronto. Uh, I think it was the year that you guys won the title. I think in that first-round matchup, uh, they, they may have won it. They took a game, game from one. Toronto and then yeah game one right they it was two years in a row and DJ Augustine yeah. had a big role in that game if I'm not mistaken uh for for Orlando yeah. but they have a couple of playoff wins with Vucevic and 
you know, he's seen champions. He's run into Milwaukee. He's run into Toronto. He under, he's at least cognizant of what playoff basketball is like. Caruso's been on a title team, but, you know, you take it with a grain of salt if you want to because it was a bubble title and, you know, just the atmospheres are a little bit different. That's, that's a fair assessment of that. Other than that, there is not a lot of playoff experience on this team. Alfonso McKinney, who's, a, you know, a, a lesser-used big man right now, you know, he's probably got the most playoff experience other than DeRozan. He's played 20-plus games with Golden State in a playoff run. There's not a lot of that experience, so I understand the, the hesitance at times. There, there, there's enough growing pains to where I think I can understand why there's a little bit of weariness, maybe a little bit of skepticism. As often is the case for home broadcasters who are there every game or if you're a beat writer and you're watching everything, you see more of the positives. You feel more of the positives from a team over a long period of time. And I think those who cover the Bulls, myself included, see the flashes of the best they can be. And when I, when I think they're at their best, they can compete in a seven-game series with anybody, regardless of playoff experience or lack thereof. But I understand why that is an assessment of a team that's having some ups and downs Naturally, you're going to look for flaws, and one of those flaws does happen to be a general lack of playoff experience for some of their most key pieces. Speaking with Adam Amin, uh, television voice of the Chicago Bulls, and you see him, of course, on uh, NFL football coverage on Fox Sports. Uh, Adam, based on everything you just said there, and I'm, I'm walking the fine line of fantasy trade. We hate doing that on this show. Do you think that the Bulls are active, or like how do you kind of assess things? Because to, to your point, I agree. I think they've proven already they can hang with just about anybody. But are they really at that championship level yet? Or are they at that we're a very good team, we're hoping to make some noise, we could crack through, but are we still a piece away? But that piece, if we try to get it, what's it going to cost us to get it? And is it going to you know, yep. break up our core or break up our chemistry? Or is it going to mess with our long-term plan, et cetera? They're kind of in that, that, that sort of you know, uh, delicate spot right now, I guess. They very much are. Uh, I, I agree with Maddie, and, it, and it's. It, it, I, I I feel like that's what's going through Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnaschovas' mind and, and JJ Polk's mind right now is exactly what you laid out to, uh, right there. I, I feel like that's the thought process, Eric. Is do we want to mortgage what we think could be a a very productive three-year run do we want to mortgage all of that in year one when there are so many injuries do we want to give up whatever little draft capital that this team has like like we talked about io is a steal in the second round and part of the reason that's magnified so much is because the bulls lack a lot of draft capital they gave up a lot of it to pick up uh vucevic uh, they had the uh tampering issue that got solved eventually you know the same thing that miami was dealing with you got tagged with a with a, a, a draft pick so you you've lost a little bit of draft capital a significant amount of it to even get to this point to bring in the guys that you've brought in so how much more can they really do other than maybe a stopgap solution and i think this is a, a franchise that is still a little ahead of schedule i i think the DeRozan signing came at such a great time and and obviously that you know, one signing begat another, begat another, begat another, and, and that's how you have this roster together. And Vucevic being traded in March was a big reason why at least it gave a message around the league that, hey, this team seems to be playing for something relatively big in the next, you know, in the, in, in the very near future. So the perception of, of how they approached last year's deadline helped 
get this roster together. They're still a little ahead of schedule. So I wouldn't be shocked if it is a slow play to say, all right, let's wait another year. Let's be fully healthy. Remember Patrick Williams, who had a a strong rookie year, all-rookie selection last year, got hurt five games in, and he's been on the shelf with the wrist injury, and he's hoping to come back in March. So I don't think you necessarily have to mortgage anything right now because in mid-March you hope that you have Ball, Caruso, Jones, Williams, all part of the rotation without having to give up anything else. So you'd have those four with Vucevic, DeRozan, Levine, Ayo Dosumu, Javante Green. This is a strong playoff roster we're talking about now. Now you're getting into the eight, nine-man rotation that you would see in a playoff series and go, yeah, I feel fairly comfortable with this group right now. Uh, I agree, Adam, and and not to rush things. Uh, And then it's about getting the experience. And people will say, well, DeRozan's going to be a year older, but... I mean, this guy just, he's playing on the ground. We forget how athletic he was when he first came into the league, but he's, I mean, and we still see flashes of it. He can still get up there and do it, but his game is morphing like, you know, the way the greats did. You know, I mean, he's a Kobe guy. He's playing on the ground now the way Kobe did late in his career. And here's the one thing that I'll never figure out our brothers and sisters in the media. Why is DeMar's name not being bandied about at all in the MVP conversation. I, I, people say, well, you know, it's what he does in the playoffs. Heck, it's a regular season award. You vote on it at the end of the season. And when I look at the fact that, you know, the, uh, the, Bulls, are, the Bulls are right there. He's, he fits my definition. One of the best players on one of the best teams. I, I, I don't get it. I mean, I know Embiid has been a monster. I know Jokic is terrific, but... Their teams are sixth, respectively, in, in their conferences. Why aren't we hearing more about DeMar in your, in your estimation? I think we heard it a little bit maybe three weeks ago after the, he hit back-to-back buzzer beaters against Indiana and Washington. I think that's when the name started to come about. And again, the Bulls were in their best stretch at that point as well. They, you know, there were 16 games over 500. Uh, you know, that first week of January. And they were in first place, and DeRozan had, had drawn all the headlines. And and I think that's when his name was in there. That's when we were kind of building this team up. And I remember having conversations with some national media outlets to, to, to their defense. I, I, I did hear some of those thoughts right around mid-January, right before they went into that, that stretch without Levine, without Javante Green, without some of these play without Ball, without Caruso, these guys getting hurt during that stretch. And, and they went, you know, up against Brooklyn on national TV and got embarrassed. They went up against Golden State. Levine got hurt. They didn't play particularly well. Uh, they, they went up against Milwaukee shorthanded, and that was the game where Caruso got hurt and DeRozan was out. So I think, you know, you're, you're starting to see – or uh, uh, Levine was out. DeRozan was by himself. You were starting to see some of the, the flaws in this in this roster, and that's when the conversation started to dissipate a little bit. But DeRozan being in that mix is, is a – valid conversation to have i'm not saying he's more valuable than a john moran i'm not saying he's having a better season than Embiid or Jokic, but there are several ways to look at an mvp and and everybody has their own parameters and their own goalposts that that they operate within and for the framework of what you talked about paul is this is one of the better teams with one of the better players and you saw his value when he was out the, the value he brings in the fourth quarter. This is a team that that struggles at times with ball pressure, 
but late in the game to have the ball in DeMar DeRozan's hands is going to be a, that's going to be a theme for the rest of this season between him and Levine. They can both make the big shots, but DeMar DeRozan is the 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 guy. He's one of those dudes that has hit those big shots, that has been in those big moments a lot more often and a higher frequency. So I, I think that's a valid conversation to have depending on the framework that you put it through. And I think there's a lot of frameworks that you could build up and say DeMar DeRozan has to be in the conversation. At the very least, he's going to be in the All-NBA all candidacy, rightfully so, and he's potentially going to start in the All-Star game. So there is some recognition out there for him. Adam, appreciate the time today, as always. Uh, look forward to seeing you one of these days, but uh, enjoy the rest of the season. And, uh, hey, are we going to see you in town next week or, or no? I don't know what the Bulls' plans are, but either way, hopefully plan, we will. As of now, the plan is to come up. We'll be back on the road uh, relatively soon as, uh, as as Stacey gets a little bit healthier. Stacey had to deal with the, about a COVID that was pretty rough, and, and he's been dealing with some of the, the post, uh, you know, post-COVID symptoms, and he's starting to get better and stronger and, and healthier, and, and that means we're going to be back on the road relatively soon. I'll be up uh, up there in Toronto uh, with the uh, – I'm not sure who our analysts will be just yet. And then at the end of the month, Stacey and I will be back on the road together. So looking forward to that. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Adam. All the best. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, boys. You got it. There's Adam Amin from uh, Fox Sports Football and the voice of the Chicago Bulls on the TV side as well. A uh, couple of things while we were chatting. We're going to step aside for a moment and come back with our man Kevin Barker, but uh, two things I wanted to pass along. One, took a few days, took another Raptor game in the books, but the uh, NBA uh, has announced uh, penalties for both P.J. Washington and Justin Champagny of the Hornets and Raptors, respectively, for their little dust-up their altercation a few nights ago. $15,000 fine for each player. Uh, no suspension, but $15,000. That's uh, you know probably a pretty penny for a guy on a two-way deal in Champagny. Uh, so fifteen grand for him. And on the football side of things, as we talked a little bit about the National Football League uh, with Adam Amin to begin our conversation. And uh, i got to throw this in there a little bit as a Bills guy, Jonesy. Josh Allen was apparently named or asked or whatever. I don't know how it works. Are you asked to, to go as an alternate or are you officially named as an alter, but alternate? But either way... Josh Allen has declined going to the Pro Bowl. It was absolutely freaking ridiculous that he was not a Pro Bowler to begin with, something I addressed on the show weeks ago. A total joke, joke that he wasn't a Pro Bowler. And to his credit, he basically saying, take that alternate and stick it, as he said, ah, it's the offseason, I need to work on my body and take care of myself. It's been a long year an alternate give me a break so josh allen will not be going to the pro bowl nobody cares about the pro bowl anyways right like have, have you ever watched more than 10 minutes of a pro bowler pro bowl excuse no. me no 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 nobody cares no it, i mean of no. all the all-star games it is clearly the worst the worst of the four majors they need i don't even know if they have it this is how out of touch i am they need some kind of skills thing in with the pro bowl i like i don't know maybe they have it I, that's how much i don't watch it or don't it's not even on my radar like yep. to me the nhl all-star weekend their skills thing is really cool hardest shot fastest skater like like they they that that's some of that stuff. it's like the three-point sh- contest to me is is one of the best things going about you know uh the nba one um I just, I just think you need to find more ways to have that kind of stuff. And I have a proposal if the competition committee wants to listen. 
<laughs> you always do, Jonesy. I'll tell you this, man. If 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 you're and I, I I'm, I'm I'm knocking on wood here. Fingers are crossed. Legs are crossed. Don't want to speak this into existence. I want to be working with you. This is the part I want to speak into existence. I want to be working with you calling games for 25 more years, as long as we can do it. But if you're ever not doing it, you have to have a job with the league. You've you've angled for this competition committee thing for so long. Somebody's got to be listening. You have so many ideas. It's got to come through. I mean, you speak, you, you, you've spoken into existence so many times. It's got to happen, man. I, I've got a great proposal for All-Star Weekend to involve every team leading up to All-Star Weekend and six additional teams in a three-point contest. Not okay, changing, so- not, not even touching the way the three-point contest goes now because it would be the same. But you just have more of a team competition. You got somebody rebounding for you? No, 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 no. No, okay. no, no. Well, no. you know, we, we got to take the break because we're already late for Kevin Barker. So in the next three, four minutes, see if you can come up with something for baseball. Like maybe could we actually see guys running around the bases so we know who's fastest from home plate back to home plate, who's, who's fastest running, you know, 90 feet, baseball's, whatever. Or are they going to be too scared already, to pull a hammy or something? Yeah, they've already done that. Like they, had, they used to have the relay competition from the outfield and somebody blew out an elbow from the warning track to the plate, you know, the relay Mm-hmm. The, the cutoff man, the real, and I think some. Ask, we can ask Barker. Somebody blew out an elbow, and that was it. Okay, we're not doing this anymore. You know, you slip on the ice once and fall down. It's like, okay, I'm not going outside for eight months in the winter. 